Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello and welcome to Medieval Beginnings. I'm Irina Dumitrescu, a contributor to the LRB. And I'm joined today, as always, by Mary Wellesley, who also writes for the paper. Hello, Mary. Hello, Irina. In the last episode, we were talking about sex, death, and magical weasels in the lays of Marie de France. Today, we have a text no less beautiful, complex, or wacky. It is the old French poem, Roman de Silence. Dated to the second half of the 13th century, this is a tale about gender, power, and transformation. And it also contains a dragon, a lactose intolerant wizard, and one of the earliest descriptions of fake tan in European literature. <laughs> so, Mary, maybe we could just begin um, with a quick summary. What is this story about? Okay, well, in its absolute simplest terms, we are in England. Uh, England is ruled by the king, King Ebane, and he has decreed that women cannot inherit property. And we have a couple who are called Cador and Ophemie, and they have a daughter. And when she's born, they name her Silence, and they decide that because she cannot inherit their property, they are the rulers of Cornwall. Because she cannot inherit property, they're going to raise her as a boy, and she's going to live as a as a man. And that is the story. It's incredibly complicated, and a lot of stuff happens. But that's that is the very basic contours. And there's a lot going on with the names. I mean, we can already hear it even in this brief overview that it's very much a poem about language as well, isn't it? Yes. So King Ebane's wife is called Ophem, which literally means, I suppose, kind of a lass femme, a lass woman. And um, the mother of Silence is called Ophemie, which is literally, I suppose, euphemism. And there is a discussion amongst Cado and Ophemie, who are the parents of Silence, about what she should be called. And they say she could either be called Silentius, you know, this kind of Latin name for silence, but she could be called Silentia if she decides to live as a woman. But she's called Silence throughout the poem. And I think what's kind of interesting is that clearly the poet is interested in how names and more generally how language can be unstable and about how you can misread and mishear. Even we get confused when we're talking about these characters because the name of, as it were, the good queen and the bad queen is extremely similar. And you're meant to kind of mix these things up all the time. And I think this is part of a general strategy within the poem to highlight how unstable language is and how names as these kinds of signifiers might actually signify something different from what you think they're signifying, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, we have instability of bodies and instability of language. Um, and we're going and to... instability of power. And of genre. And yes. um, these are some of the things we'll, um, we'll look at um, in this episode. Um, maybe first we could take a step back and just... Uh, places. What do we know about about the poem? You know, where and when it was written? What's the manuscript context for it? So this text uh, is written in Old French, and it dates from probably the second half of the 13th century. 
And it survives in one single manuscript, which is uh, in England. And it's part of the University of Nottingham's uh, special collections. And it was originally in a place called Woolerton Hall in Nottingham, where this single manuscript was discovered in the 20th century inside a box labelled old papers, no value. <laughs> and so it was. it's a poem that has generated a huge amount of scholarly interest since its discovery in the 20th century. But before that point, it was basically unknown to scholarship. The interesting thing about the manuscript is that it made its way to England in the 15th century. Most likely, it appears that it was loot. So during the Hundred Years' War, there was a siege in 1428 in a place called Laval. And it appears that this manuscript was stolen by English forces, possibly the Earl of Shrewsbury. And uh, the manuscript contains this inscription saying that it belonged to Madame de Laval. So interesting because that's pointing to a female owner, which is lovely because it's just a reminder that women were the consumers and often the producers of literature throughout this period. But also it highlights something that I think is rather fascinating, that the value of this text, you know, Imagine these these soldiers charging through the Chateau de Lonval, this this castle, and looking for stuff that they could take with them, stuff of value. And of course, a manuscript with lots of wonderful French texts in it. And pictures. And pictures. And pictures, yeah. So this so Silence itself has fourteen uh, miniatures within it, and there are, there are miniatures throughout the manuscript. But uh, uh, this wonderful reminder of how how much these kinds of texts were valued. But also this is a period in which English, particularly aristocrats, definitely speak French, enjoy French literature. French literature is incredibly popular. Just because this is a work in French doesn't mean it was unintelligible to English soldiers. And so it's sort of nice to be thinking about this text in amongst a whole load of Anglo-Norman and Middle English because although it's written in French, it's very much part of this, this sophisticated cross-channel milieu and we see a lot of uh, a lot of the themes of this text are ones that we also see in Anglo-Norman works and also in Middle English works, testifying to this rich shared cultural heritage between the two, what we now think of as two nations, but at the time were were more unified. Well, and it's quite appropriate since uh, silence, at least, begins and ends as a woman, and the story begins and ends with war. And Ceylon spends her time going back and forth between England and France. So there's a way in which, I mean, there are other romances and texts in the manuscript. This isn't the only one, but um, there's a way in which the poem already reflects um, those cross-channel relationships. But maybe it's worth talking a little bit about the genre of romance, uh, not just because it's so popular in the Middle Ages, but I, I think really Silence, uh, and whoever the author of Silence was, play a lot on the genre of romance and quite consciously and in some somehow slightly over-the-top ways. Yes. So we should say, I mean, what is a romance? Well, a romance, in, in simple terms, it's a long narrative poem. But that perhaps obscures how much fun the romance genre is. I think it's perhaps easiest to think of romance as the ancestor of, of the fairy tale. I mean, these are kind of fairy stories. There are often adventures and noble characters and marvelous events. And we see a lot of those in this text. I mean, it feels like the author is just 
is kind of cherry picking from all of the romances that he or she, indeed she knows. And it's just kind of mixing them all together into this amazing kind of confected 7,000 line masterpiece. Fairy tales or modern action adventure stories or Star Wars, you know, we have so many different kinds of uh, genre that are that are descended from romance. And, you know, one thing that even modern re- readers will recognize from, you know, for contemporary media is that you tend to see a lot of very similar plot elements. Romance is you know, always new and also highly formulaic at the same time. You see, diff- you know, the same kind of character over and over, the hero who goes on an adventure, some kind of seductive or dangerous woman, perhaps, um, or a a beloved pure woman who is to be won as a bride, um, or magical helpers, you know, old men or things like that. We have all of those in, in this poem, of course, as well. Co- coincidences, impressive coincidences, right? All of these uh, things which we, you know, we we find in modern adventure stories as well. They're very typical of romance and romance, but the difference is romance is very often about family. So very many of the popular romances in the in the later Middle Ages have to do with families being broken up and brought back together, and a social order that is destroyed when the family is torn apart and reinstated at the end of. Of the story. So I think that's also something we can say that in very many romances, not all, family is very important. Yes, although whether this tale concludes with a happy ending is very much to be seen. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this extract from Medieval Beginnings, a close reading series from the London Review of Books. To listen to the full episodes and all our other close reading series, sign up to our close reading subscription. Go to lrb.me forward slash close readings or click on the link in the description. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.